My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 11, The Dead Man Returns. Why did you give no hint that night, that quickly, as if indifferent quite? You would close your term here, up and be gone, when I could not follow, with the wing of the swallow, to gain one glimpse of you anon. The Going, Thomas Hardy. The fire blazed brightly in the dining room in St. Argus's finest restaurant, the Northern Point, and the waiters scurried about the room with steaming dishes of eggs and bacon. Hastings and Weissman sat at a small table next to the windows, overlooking the rockery. Weissman had made the first move in calling the chief in order to apologize for yelling at him, and Hastings suggested they have breakfast. They had much to talk about over pancakes. The subject was the same as the topic of conversation in every house of St. Argus, Marta Pendleton and her disappearing husband. Well then, Bernie, you tell me in the most elegant way you can just how Marta has seen so many violent things. No one else has seen any of it, and there isn't a shred of evidence to corroborate her stories. I know, I know, Dan, said Weissman. He knew that arguing to the contrary would be fruitless. But you can't just say she's crazy. What? Rumbled Hastings as he almost choked on a sliver of bacon. He washed it down with some coffee and then pointed his finger at Weissman. Bernie, damn it, at least admit what you feel, will you? All right, all right, I do have feelings for her, okay? He said loudly and leaned over to whisper the rest. Maybe I even still love her, okay? I'll admit that. But you haven't even given her a chance. A chance? erupted Hastings. Forget it. She had her chance last night when I got suckered into going out to McAllister's place. This old DuPont on the phone telling me how Marta said there was a fire out there, windows broken, the door knocked off its hinges. I said to myself, Danny, this is another one of those flashes or whatever she calls it. I went out to McAllister's house and I looked over every square inch of it. Still standing. Quite a miracle, huh? And I know I got the Reverend all pissed off. What could I tell him? And you want me to give her a chance? Get last night, insisted Weissman. Suppose she really saw Jamie's death. You said it yourself. There's no evidence. It's been over 36 hours. Where the hell is he, Dan? Well, who would want him dead? Asked Hastings. He downed the rest of the coffee and called the waiter over for a refill. I mean, this guy's a chemist, a researcher. Who cares what he's doing? Well, that's the most ignorant stance I've ever heard, confessed Wiseman. That's just the point. We don't know why. We should figure this out. Tell me, said Hastings as he nodded the pancakes. Who were his enemies? What about his father? I'd start right there. Oh, come on, Weissman. Don't ever ask to become a deputy or help me out. Old man Pendleton has better things to do than to murder his son. I just want you to know what Pendleton killed his son. That's crazy in itself, laughed Hastings. If you had just let me finish. What's Pendleton said about this whole thing? I would find those comments very interesting. He called. Once news got around the town, he was quite upset until I straightened him out. Oh, I bet you did. You told him everything was all right and how Mata was seeing things. Right. I told him I would investigate this matter and for him not to worry. Did he offer any kind of reward or anything like that? 
Look, they've always hated each other ever since college. I can remember their constant beauty. Goes back farther than that. I remember him shouting at the old man right here in this restaurant. He was only three years old at the time. The old man was always pressuring him. You don't pressure kids. Not if you want him to stick around. Look what happened to Jamie. Yeah, look what happened to Jamie. Will you cut that out? Hastings asked as the waiter came over to the table with a pot of coffee. Wanted coffee, Chief? Yeah, fill it, please. Mr. Weissman? No, no more for me, thanks. The waiter filled the cup and left. Hastings bent over the table and spoke to Weissman directly. I want the best opinion. If I wanted the best opinion, I wouldn't be here, smiled Weissman. Funny boy, you, you listen to me, Bernie. Get that friend of yours to the clinic at the hospital. That's what DuPont wants anyway. Get Dr. Casey to talk to her. Find out what the real cause of her problems are. Don't go around apologizing for her anymore. If you really want to help her, then get her help. I don't see how that would be the best move at this time, said Weissman. She doesn't need both extremes right now. Weissman spoke. The dining room became filled with chatter. People gasped as they arose from the table, some backing against the walls. Weissman, in the middle of his sentence, turned around toward the doorway and his mouth froze. Jamie Pendleton, unscarred, his face smooth and compact, stood in the doorway. He wore his white turtleneck and chinos, both without the slightest trace of blood. His eyes were focused intently at Weissman. It was like the ghost had returned from the dead, and his forward manner made it appear that he knew of Weissman's infatuation with his wife. Weissman, as he looked into Jamie's eyes, his credence in Marta's stories flip-flopped several times because he now knew that Jamie Pendleton was alive. Hastings threw down his napkin and ran across the room to Jamie. The flabbergasted Weissman stayed behind at the table, asking himself how this man could be standing there. Jamie, Jamie, where have you been? shouted Hastings. Do you have any idea what you've done to this town? Jamie still stood there as serious as a cast iron mold, never once evidenced an expression on his face. His eyes were still trained on Weissman, and as he spoke, his voice seemed changed. It was as if he had caught a very slight cold or had an infection in his throat. On further inspection, his voice even sounded primitive, low in tone, and very threatening. That was not my fault. The, the town is in an uproar. More of the imagination of the people in this town. He said, still looking toward Weissman. Weissman became terrified because he was convinced Jamie was out to get him. In his thick, slow-speaking voice, Jamie called across the room to Weissman. How is my wife, Bernie? I understand she has more problems. Weissman was sure that Jamie was reading his mind. Your wife, your wife, oh, Mata, he said as he stood, trying to act casual as he crossed the dining room. Mata, oh, she's feeling a little tired today said Weissman as he thought to himself. Yeah, she was out late, very late, Jamie. That is interesting. Out late last night, was she? Asked Jamie as if he had really read Weissman's mind. How, how'd you know that? Weissman wanted to know. It's all over town, you damn fool, chided Hastings as he shook his head. Jamie, where have you been? I had some personal business to take care of in Concord. 
the University School of Chemistry. I have been there for the past few hours. We're doing research all along the same lines. I want to do compare notes. And where the hell is your car, Badge and Weissman? If it is any of your business, I turned it into the agency where I got it. It is time we talked about my wife. Well, Bernie's an expert in that area, volunteered Hastings. He's taken care of Marta most of the time you were gone. No, he has. And just what does your kindly association with my wife tell you, Mr. Weissman? She's very sick, Jamie. I'd second that. Probably sick enough to be put away. She's seeing the most bizarre. I understand. Weissman was astounded and unnerved by the fact that Jamie would turn on Marta right now. Weissman would have no say in what Marta's fate would be. Guilt washed over him like the river against the banks. Why should he be deciding things for Marta anyway? Was that not the writer or husband? Jamie's arrogance was getting him upset, and he knew he must proceed in a logical manner. Hey, look, I would think you think she should have a second chance, said Jamie. Yeah, that's right. He was convinced that Jamie could sense what was going on inside his head, and he had problems with the fact that Jamie was actually still alive and Marta was crazy. Because of his intense feelings for Marta, he had bent his thoughts and perceptions to convince himself that her husband, now his rival, was dead. My wife needs relaxation. I will go out and try to calm her nerves. He said, almost in a monotone. Oh, well, I can take you in the cruiser. I insist on giving you a ride there myself, said Hastings. He put his arm around Jamie and they walked toward the lobby, away from Weissman. You know, your father was very concerned about you as they headed for the door. That is very reassuring. I would enjoy a visit from my father, said the younger Pendleton. When had Jamie Pendleton ever wanted to meet with his father? Why was he acting like an insensitive drone? Jamie Pendleton was not an overly jovial person, nor was he the dull, introspective man who had just appeared in the restaurant. He was never that serious, never, never that mean. Weissman watched them pass the outer windows and then turned to leave, but he fell forward, stumbling over the chair, a chair that he was convinced had not been there. He was sure of it. The chair had been under the table. He could have sworn it had moved in his path. That would be impossible. That would be crazy. When Hastings returned from the farmhouse, he had one thing on his mind. His first official call concerning Jamie's return would be to Pendleton himself. If the old man heard it from another source, the chief would look bad. And above all, Hastings was very concerned about his own image. He sat at the side of his desk and waited for someone to pick up the telephone at the mansion. Pendleton resident, answered one of the servants. Yes, this is Chief Hastings. Would you please put Mr. Pendleton on the line? I'm sorry, Mr. Hastings, but Mr. Pendleton is not at home at the present time. I have great news. His son has returned back to town, beamed Hastings as if he had personally brought Jamie back to St. Argus. Really? Well, I'm sure Mr. Pendleton will be greatly relieved. He seemed quite concerned over this entire matter. One minute, please, said the servant as Hastings waited. Yes. I've just been advised that Mr. Pendleton is 
Out at the power plant. He was there a good portion of the night. Oh, good, good. I'll call him right now. Thank you very much, and you have a nice day. He said, tapping the hook and getting on an open line. He flipped through the telephone book and got the number to the plant. The line rang for the longest time before he finally got an answer. Hello? This is Chief Hastings. Who is this? Good, good, Minos. Good news, good news. Jamie's returned. Isn't that great? That is good news. Yeah, well, uh, put Pendleton on the line, will you? Telephone dropped to the floor, clanging into Hastings' ear. He held the receiver out until Pendleton came on the line. He asked in the same tone as Minos. Well, I found your son. He came back this morning. Then you two have made up. Good, good. We have reached understanding. He said slowly. Ah, yeah, it sounds like you're not feeling well, though, Mr. Pendleton. I am He had hoped to be showered with praise for calling the old man. Instead, he listened to an unemotional monotone with no substance. As he set the telephone back on the desk, he shook his head and asked himself what anyone could do to please the old man. Upon seeing Jamie enter the DuPont kitchen, Marta's bridge on sanity collapsed into the churning waters of her own thoughts below. Between the ear-shattering screams and incoherent wails, her mind wanted to self-destruct. Before they could get to her, she had run up the stairs and locked herself in her mother's bedroom. As if being attacked by invading armies, she barricaded the door with the high boy and all the chairs in the room finally dragging over the large canopy bed, and she tried to convince herself of what she had seen the other night. No, no, I saw him dead. He was dead. Dead, he is dead. The stark realities of her life now faced her head on. She could really be insane. But her mind was not radically different. It felt normal. There was no feeling of insanity if insanity had a distinct flavor like a bad apple. If she was insane, she could see these flashes temporarily, or maybe she would soon fall into a state of total fantasy. Then the thought crossed her mind. Maybe she had really wanted to see Jamie dead. Maybe she was so disgusted with life that she would want him dead. That was a tough realization to swallow, and it remained floating around her brain with her other confusing thoughts. Duquan and her brother Ben tried to open the door, the lock itself was secure enough to keep them out of the room. So they tried reasoning with her, telling her how much they cared and how they would try to help her if she just opened the door. Her mother arrived next, followed by Jamie himself. When her mother's attempts to bring Mater out failed, the once assumed dead man spoke to his wife. I have come to get you out, Martha. Well, I'm not coming out. Never. She yelled at him and then thought, Why are you talking like that? Marta, you know we can solve our problems in a logical manner, like adults. Why do you want me to come out? That's what Johnson really wanted, isn't it? Put Marta away so she doesn't bother anybody anymore. So she can have her flashes with the rest of the lunatics. Well, you can't do it. Johnson never wanted that. 
Why are you talking like that, Jamie? What's wrong with you? You only think I'm talking this way. It's because you are upset. You come out and we'll talk. We don't have to go right to the clinic. I promise we will spend time together just like I promise. You can relax. You don't care about me. You never have. It's all been about you, the great Jamie Pendleton, you. If you feel that way, we can discuss it. Marta sat on the bed and tried to reason the whole thing out. Her only salvation would be cooperation with them. Even if she believed what she had seen was reality, she had to cast it aside and let them call the shots. Let them designate what was real, or she wouldn't survive. They would put her away if she persisted in her arguments. But it was still possible that she had seen reality. Maybe that was the flavor of insanity she was looking for. The insane never believe they're insane until they have lost their grip and destroyed themselves. And Marta did not want to be destroyed, even if it meant admitting she was insane. She wanted to live. In Johnson's office, she had talked about death, how she wanted to die. But now she wanted life more than anything. She wanted to do things she had never done before, find new ways and experiences. And in order to do that, she would have to take the first step, their first step. Marta, Marta, can you hear me? What are you doing here? She heard her husband yell. I came to see if I could help. I don't need any help from you, my friend. Bernie, is that you? Are you really out there? She asked, remembering his gentle understanding of the past two nights. Weissman could get her out of this awful dilemma. I want to see Bernie first or I won't come out. Very well, said Jamie resentfully. Go right ahead, my friend. I'm coming, Marta. It's all right. Marta looked over the fort she had erected. Weissman promised her safety and she believed him. She got up and began moving the furniture away from the door. Putting her hand on the deadbolt, she turned it ever so slowly. The door opened instantly, but it was not Weissman who burst inside. Thought you could get away with it, asked Jamie as he confronted her. Wouldn't let me in, but you'd let your boyfriend in. Jamie's whole body seemed agitated, prone to short, jerky movements. All the time she had known Jamie, she had never noticed these idiosyncrasies. Boyfriend? She cried for the first time when she saw her husband's implacable face close up. You have a lot to learn, Martha. He said as he violently pushed her against the wall. And just for a passing moment in his rising anger, she seemed to see something in his eyes, just like she had in the upstairs bedroom. It was a thin red circle around the iris, paper thin and it vanished almost at the moment it appeared. In her volatile state, she could not be sure if she had seen it at all. Hey, don't treat her like that, yelled Weissman. Leave her alone, she's been through a lot. Jamie turned from his wife and set his eyes on Weissman. Don't you ever tell me what to do, he said, still keeping Marta pinned in. But he was not through. He reached out and grabbed Weissman. His fingers were cold as ice from the outside and he lifted him high into the air. Amidst Marta's screams, he hurled Weissman across the wax wooden floor. 
Weissman slid into a mass of furniture, stunned by the impact, but even more shocked by the fact that Jamie had the strength to accomplish such a feat. I'm not going to stand by here, said the smaller Weissman as he got to his feet, and watch you hurt her. Jamie had overstepped his bounds, and he seemed to know it. The children want to go skating, he said, changing the subject in the most calming way. Calm down when you are ready, Marta, he said abruptly as he left the room as quickly as he had come in. Marta raced over to Weissman and threw her arms around him as the others watched from the second floor landing. Weissman once again stroked her head to reassure Marta he would stand by her. Oh, Bernie, I'm so scared. I don't know what's real and what isn't. What am I seeing now? Is this real or is it fantasy? I have no way of knowing. Come on, Marta, it's all right. Get a hold of yourself. You can do it, he said as he lifted her head up and looked into her moist, bloodshot eyes. I know you can do it, and I'm right here with you. But I saw three separate things. They're not real, were they? The dead Jamie, the bundles, the ghost, and the seance. It's all in my mind, wasn't it? It could only be temporary, Marty. You'll be all right. I'll help you if we have to go over to that clinic together. But I'm with you. Please remember that. The same old feelings were bubbling up in Weissman's heart. He was overtly jealous of Jamie now. Feelings for Marta, which she had long been buried, were even stronger than ever. What he had once thought so wrong now seemed indisputably right. Join us next time for Maya the Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.